Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am joined today by Lauren Imperato. Now, Lauren has become revered as one of the globe's top entrepreneur experts, and she has spoken for audiences of 10,000 on the Great Lawn of Central Park, 2 to 3,000 each in Times Square, Madrid, Barcelona, Panama, opening weekend in Ibiza, Cannes Film Festival, and more. Lauren, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. Um, I do want to begin, though. You were born in Northern or raised in Northern California? Yep, born and raised in Northern California. That's right. Wonderful, beautiful wine country out there. And uh, and I read that you have like a, a certificate in like wine something. <laughs> yeah, actually, my one of my science projects in seventh grade, I um, made, studied the fermentation of grapes and the making of wine, and then went on to write my thesis at Princeton on the wine industries of Spain and Italy. And um, then took a lot of formal classes on on wine sort of after graduating, continuing that passion. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, my partner got into wines really seriously a few years back, and we ended up doing two trips to Napa and Sonoma. And um, he's become one of those guys that kind of swirls it around, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) He does the swirl. I swirl and spill. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just sip it, honey. That's all I do. Yeah, I don't have that, time. That's a better swirl. way. And, you exactly. know, and a, yeah, and, and a little funny little side note as well. Um, when we were driving across the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, we get smack dab in the middle and Siri on our phone malfunctions and says, turn left. So, oh. which was like, girl, we're on a bridge. We I'm can't. Glad you didn't do that. I'm <laughs> glad yeah. you didn't follow those instructions. No, yeah. She tried to kill us uh, going to wine country. But in any event, yes. Yeah, so you were raised in Northern California. Then you go to Princeton. And from there, I know you go to work on Wall Street, but I wasn't sure. Were you actually a trader? I actually work on the trading floor. So I'm trading floor. It's broken up into sales and trading and research. And I was in sales. So I was mm. on the trading floor um, in fixed income, which um, was really fun. Were there many women in that role or traditionally are there many women in that role? Not many. I think it's probably changed now, but back then I was usually one, the only woman or one of two women. Um, so it was definitely, you know, an oddball, an oddball placement. Yeah. Yeah. And I asked that too, because, you know, I think when we see that world on television or wherever, it's always like a bunch of like men, you know, and I don't, <laughs> and so I'm like, I don't really think I've seen too many women in that environment. So no, yeah. it's definitely more rough and tumble. You know, I think that my um, my tomboy athletic self really, you know, tended well to it. Yeah, you could hold your own in that environment, sure. I tried. I yeah, tried. definitely. Well, I know from that world, though, that's when you, you leave eventually that world and you become an entrepreneur. You start your own business in the wellness space and then you move on to where you are today. But I do want to know, what was it that prompted you to say, you know what, I'm going to transition, take a different tra- trajectory. And and it's a kind of frightening thing to do when you sort of kind of go on linearly, if you will, to one direction, and then you just change all of a sudden somewhere else. So what made you make that decision? I mean, it was definitely incredibly frightening. You know, I had been studying yoga and meditation and nutrition on the side really as a hobby. You know, now they call it like a side hustle or whatever. Mm. For me, it was really just a hobby and, and it was something I did after work. 
Uh, and then I actually looked at the market and realized that there was not a wellness industry the way there is now. And I realized that if I wanted to turn this into a business, I had a very small window where I could where I could do it. And it would make sense to leave my my established career and also make sense from an economic and and market standpoint to really jump into something that didn't really exist then. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, it was really scary. I mean, the day I quit or the week I quit, you know, you're leaving sort of, it felt like I was leaving all this behind. Um, now I really see it as just going from one step to the next step to the next step. But then it was, you know, I had to make sure that I was set up for my new career and uh, in a way that I would be successful and, and be able to support myself as well. Yeah. And it's a great point you bring up too, because very often the idea is that someone, they leave a career or they quit one thing and then they go on to something else. But I think what is often overlooked is that, like you just said, you were kind of going from point A to point B and you were probably bringing a lot of things that you learned, I'm assuming, that you yes. learned to your new opportunity as an entrepreneur. Tell me about that correlation. Absolutely. Well, first of all, you know, I always say that it's, people have this like romantic image of quitting their job and, you know, following their passion. I think that's a, a load of shit, for mm-hmm. lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. You know, your quote unquote passion, once it becomes your job, it's no longer your passion anymore. It's something that you have to do. You know, so I always talk about not running away from something, but running towards something. So I actually loved my job on Wall Street. I was doing really well there. I wasn't running away from it. I was running towards a new opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something really important to consider um, when you do make these transitions. Is, are you running away or are you running towards something? Yeah, that is so true. Because very often I see people sort of like, they're not really following their passion as you speak. You know, They're sort of just kind of existing. And then the whole idea about starting businesses, sometimes there's not even a passion in that. They're just trying to do something so they don't have to go to work for someone else, right? And I think that's a trap too. Like that's not really going to solve your problem. Exactly. And on that point, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for my, you know, near nearly decade in corporate America. I think that taught me my time on Wall Street, taught me all these skills that I apply to my life as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, and I think that's been a definite competitive advantage in the sense that there are, you know, I think corporate world and Wall Street, as you know, earlier, kind of get a bad rap. But I think there, there are some fundamental lessons that you learn that cannot be um, taught anywhere else. Yeah, no, I agree. And people have to recognize that sometimes, you know, you are bringing forth things that you've actually learned previously to, to apply elsewhere. I think that's a great point to make. So thank you for that. And also, I want to just go back to something you said about this sort of notion of, you know, I'm going to start my own business and yeah, and it's all like great and fabulous for about five seconds until you get into the nitty gritty. And you, you know, you talk about sort of dispelling the, the myths, if you will, of entrepreneurship that yeah. the media and social media don't tell you about. So talk a little bit about that. Oh, I mean, I think the way social media and media play entrepreneurship is like is this great giant holiday. In reality, once you're an entrepreneur, if you're really, you know, working at it, you're never going to take a sick day, a vacation day or a paycheck for granted again. Money mm-hmm. comes in and you cannot be there. I mean, even like your computer breaks, you can call IT and somebody fixes it for you. I remember my first, you know, few years as an entrepreneur, my, something would be wrong with my computer. And, I've, you know, not to be a stereotypical woman, but I'd like have no idea how to fix it. You know, how to fit it, <laughs> smack it. You know, how do you make the right. printer connect? It's like a nightmare, you know? And, and I think that because of this romanticized idea of entrepreneurship, I think that we're really doing an injustice. You know, entrepreneurship is really hard work. It depends on what type of entrepreneur you want to do, but it's a seven day a week, full time, all mind consuming job. And it's not for everybody, you know, it, and, and that's not a bad thing. You know, it, it definitely works for me because I can wake up in the morning and set my own discipline to get things done. Yeah. You know, but you have to be able to get things done and you have to be able to be your own boss. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, your clients become your boss, you know. So it's not like you're working 
for nobody, which I think a lot of people think happens when you quote unquote quit your corporate job and move on. Yeah, I love that because in fact, it's the opposite. Like you're working for probably like the most difficult or the most, I think sort of like maybe the most contentious boss employee relationship you're ever going to be in, (laughs) which is yourself. And if you don't produce, you know, you don't eat. Yeah. It reminds me of um, freelancing. Yeah, exactly. And you're always hunting the next, the next Uh, thing. Yeah. Freelance work is so grueling. Um, I did it for three years and I thought, you know, the whole, just like you said, I was like, oh, oh I'm going to be my own boss. going to be great. And like, I spent most of my time, you know, tracking down money for jobs I did do where a client was like, well, I have 90 days to pay you. I'm like, yeah, but why would you? It's exhausting, right? <laughs> right. Like, it, why did you just... It's very difficult. And yeah. I think we, un- we never talk about these realities of entrepreneurship. We always try and, I don't know, we try and make it glossy and easy, mm-hmm. you know, with yeah. the Instagram photos and the TikToks. And there's actually the reality of something totally different. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's funny too. It reminds me of uh, one of my freelance gigs. I was so excited because Victoria's Secret wanted to hire some men to get a male perspective on their catalog. And so I did this great work. It was really a fun, progressive idea. And it took me like almost six months to get you know, not very a lot I've of money. I've been in that trip so many times. <laughs> and I'm like, you're Victoria's Secret. And they got a little indignant. And I guess I'm calling them out a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> they actually, that same year had the fashion show with like Heidi Klum in a million dollar bra with diamonds on it. Like that's where my money went. So anyway, that's pretty much where I think the my freelance money went. But no, I I definitely think that, yeah, it's a it's a great thing that you have tapped into about the seriousness of you have to be the one to deliver. And it's not for the faint of heart in that respect. No, especially when you have people depending on you. Like for instance, to your point, many, 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 many times, almost all my contracts would be paid quite late, but then you have to pay your team. And you know, unless you're really flush, like that money is like a trickle down effect. And that adds stress, you know, if you're trying to be a serious business, Yeah, you know, yeah, that's very difficult. Just one of the many things that gets hidden in the real, in the reality. Yeah. And then of course you add to it social media too, like you specifically, I mean, you know, you have people like fanning wads of money and they're on yachts and all all this sort of stuff. I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm sure. Exactly. Exactly. Who's really paying for that? And what's the, what's the actual profit and loss P and L and revenue on that form. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also you are uh, the co-founder and CEO of the association, which is a women's leadership organization and uh, women in innovation is another group as well. And these are obviously pro women organizations that help women thrive in business and innovation. But um, you also talk about a very different dynamic, which is why women often hinder the success of other women in the workplace. And um, you have an idea on how maybe to change that. So talk a little bit about that dynamic. Well, you know, this is definitely something that I could potentially be raked over the coals for. But in my experience, you know, women often hold women back as much, if not more than men. And I'm not quite sure why that happens. In all senses, in my experience, I've had a series of sort of women that have held me back in my careers and my jobs. And I think that the, I call it the woman versus woman myth. You know, and I think that oftentimes um, they, they call it the queen bee syndrome, that the women feel like there can only be one queen bee or women say, that, you know, they fought so hard. So every other woman, you know, younger than them or after them has to fight equally as hard. Right. I just think that women need to stay accountable to their word. You know, when, when a dude says it's done, most often it's done. A woman says a hug and a kiss and there's this pretense that women have to be nice and flowery and and whatnot. And a dude will just say, Absolutely not. Be much more point blank. 
Yes, no, I hate it, I love it. A woman kind of packages the whole thing, and in that packaging, often it's hindering a woman's success and advancement to the next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the uh, queen bee syndrome because when I was reading this about you know some of the things you speak about, this particular topic was very similar to within the African-American community. We have a similar thing we call crabs in a barrel. <laughs> and it is this idea that one of us gets in and we haven't necessarily, because we've climbed on top of the other to get there. Mm-hmm. And there's only, because there's, it's often only allowed to be one or two of us in mm-hmm. that space, right? Yep. Um, and for Black women, it's even a bigger dynamic. Right, right. So I, I completely see that syndrome. And I think, luckily, though, what's great about it, because we're talking about it, obviously, and you have these two organizations that are doing something about it. So tell me in which ways, you know, we're countering that dynamic for women. Well, at the association, the number one thing we do is we really strive to be not about complaining and not about whining. So in uh, my experience and most of the members of the association, our experience in women's groups has been a lot of complaining and a lot of whining. Mm-hmm. Here we say, okay, no, we are just individuals. We happen to be women for this organization, but we are individuals striving to do our best in our career and to get ahead. So we come together as individuals. And we have a strategy for how to advance and discuss our problems without complaining about our wine, but really much more pragmatic about it. And it's that sort of pragmatism. I can't even get the word out. Um, It's going to be practical uh, about uh, problem solving that I think really helps the association. And it really sets us aside from other women's organizations out there. Yeah. And it's funny because you tap into these two things that are almost stereotypical. So it's funny hearing a woman say them like, no whining and no complaining, but you're sort of like these tropes that you would hear i mean from a different you know obviously from a different um dynamic with men saying it but you know but it's interesting i can say it and not get in trouble right i'm probably still gonna get in trouble but i'm speaking from my experience in my experience most women's groups i've been a part of is just an endless waste of time and complaining and whining and we know the association was created something different and our members feel that it's totally different than the other groups because we really try and curtail that right so it's about being yeah not coming together as a as a group to complain about the problem it's about let's resolve the problem and make opportunities. Exactly. The women come together, we create what we call your personal board of directors. So we curate these groups of six to 10 women uh, using a combination of data science and a personal touch. And that's your board. And you meet with your board once a month. And that monthly meeting follows a very strict timeline protocol. So quite frankly, in the essence of time, there's no chance to whine or complain. You know, you have two minutes to discuss this, one minute to discuss that. And then the way we've set up our secret sauce or our structure is that we allow for what we call a diversity of thought. So every person comes in there and they share, you know, something that's related to whatever that challenge or opportunity being discussed is. Mm-hmm. And so there's not, if you whine, then really nobody gets anything out of it. And I think it becomes very apparent. Did it feel like a, I don't want to say mission, but were you compelled as a woman yourself to really be that proactive or was this something sort of people came to you and said, this is a need we have to fulfill? Or did you find that need and go, you know what, I need to do this for other women? Uh, That's actually a really funny question. I actually generally hate women's groups (laughs) because I I find them to be a a lot of platitudes and waste of time. You go, you drink some really bad, warm Chardonnay in a cup and all these senior women tell you they're going to help you and support you and then they never answer your email. Mm. And if you're lucky, you have a coffee once. And when I was transitioning from my first business, IMU, to where I am now, I really felt like I lacked a group of colleagues that I could bounce my challenges and opportunities off of, a group that was unbiased. You know, as much as your family, your husband, your partners, your friends, they love you and they want the best for you, they're inherently biased. 
you know, they see things through a certain lens and that might not be the best lens for your next step in your career. And this was something that I was swirling about, swirling around about um, once I exited IMU and really didn't know what to do about it. And then my co-founder, uh, Janelle Hallier, and I met and she you know, said that she was in a very famous global organization called YPO and it didn't work for her as a woman the same way it worked for men. Mm-hmm. And she asked if I would be on her own personal board of directors that she was creating on the side. And I told her, well, no, uh, I cannot be on yours because we're going to go turn this into a business. Mm-hmm. And that's how we arrived at the association. Yeah, that's amazing. And I love there's a couple of great nuggets there that you just addressed. One is you have to be a catalyst for real change and put the work in and not just talk about something. And so I love that you've, what you said there, because another guest I had on the show, she's um, uh, African American woman who's at Twitter and she's in a really prominent role there. And she did the same thing by creating this brand called sisters in media. And she didn't want young black women or women of color in general to have to go through that same thing that you just almost said, trying to find a mentor that was a woman who understood the dynamics, who was really going to help her and pull some strings. And it was she had the same problems based on many of the same things you addressed. She didn't find real tangible help. So she started her own. And I think that's a, a metaphor for all of us to like yeah. be proactive. And to be proactive, exactly. And, and to not just sit back. I mean, it's really easy to retweet a meme. It's hard to actually do something on the ground about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your insight today, Lauren Imperato. We really appreciate having you here today on Motivational Mondays. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.